Hey everyone, Kelly Kyle here, host of the North County Beat podcast. We want to let you know about our upcoming Clean Campaign Forum on Tuesday, October 13th. This is a virtual event with candidates in the Encinitas City Races discussing their commitment to reducing election ugliness this season. Get more details at thecoastnews.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to the North County Beat. This is a podcast by the Coast News Group. I'm your host, Kelly Kyle. Today is Friday, September 4th. Yep, you heard that right. It is already September. Time is absolutely flying by. Today's episode is pretty special. We are kicking off a two-part series that's looking at the political tensions of this election year and why everything feels so darn ugly. First, we've got a few quick messages. The Coast News has expanded its podcast offerings. We now have four podcasts, including the North County Beat, that bring you a taste of news, life, and culture in our region. Our brand new podcast directory lets you view all of our programs in one place. You can check that out at thecoastnews.com. And if you like what you've been hearing and you want to show some love for high-quality local journalism, become a supporter of The Coast News. When you head to that new podcast directory, click the Support This Show button under your favorite show to pledge what you can. You can choose to support monthly to sustain us and keep us going in the long haul. It's really whatever you are comfortable giving and able to give. That's all on that online podcast directory at thecoastnews.com, and we really appreciate your support. Okay, so now I want to welcome Coast News and Sinitas reporter Caitlin Steinberg. What is up, Caitlin? How are you? I'm doing good, Kelly. Life is uh, moving along, and you know, it feels like summer's finally arrived with this heat that we've gotten this last year. Yeah, week, even so. though it's over. And we definitely have a lot going on between now and the end of 2020 Mm -hmm. and the start of 2021. That includes elections and election season nationally, locally, all of the above. And uh, there is a lot to cover. Yeah. I mean, especially for everyone at the Coast News, election season has fully arrived and we are in it. (laughs) Uh, It is, yeah, it's exciting. It's fun. And at the same time, as we'll talk about today, it's become incredibly toxic. Yeah, and that's actually, that's why we're here today. So we've got a lot going on with just this toxicity that you've been seeing. And we're going to kind of present some of that to our listeners who may not be aware of it. And we're just going to show everybody what's what's really going on. Yeah, yeah. Today's story was born out of, as we've been saying, that toxicity. In the past two months, I've personally seen a steady increase in violent rhetoric in North County's elections, and it is everywhere. You know, it's in person, it's online, between constituents, candidates, friends, and families. The media has spent a lot of time reporting on how our nation as a whole is very divided right now with the upcoming national elections. However, that division and harassment has seeped into our local elections here in North County. Oh, yeah, and we have definitely been seeing that. Mm-hmm. And the, the first moment that sparked my own attention was back in July when I ported on the North County Trump 2020 vendor stands. Okay, so let's lay that out. So these are the stands that started popping up midsummer, right? Yeah, those. They were all over North County. However, we're just going to talk about Encinitas and Rancho Santa Fe specifically. Yeah, because I think I saw some in other cities like Escondido, but these are the two that we're focusing on, right? Mm-hmm, those. So within a day of the first stand going up in Encinitas and then Rancho Santa Fe, rumors began circulating on social media of supposed stabbings and paint cans getting dumped on vendors and fights between teenagers and employees. 
it sounded ridiculous and violent. So naturally, I went searching for a Trump stand myself, and I found one on the corner of El Camino Real and Encinitas Boulevard. And um, they're just, they're simple setups. They're selling Trump t-shirts, bobbleheads, hats, and other memorabilia. But these are not affiliated with the Trump campaign, right? No, not at all. This is a privately run business out of Los Angeles with a score of employees. This is not the Trump campaign. Got it. So you go to this stand, El Camino Real, Encinitas Boulevard, and what happens then? Is it chaotic? Are are people paying attention? People are certainly paying attention to the stand. Everyone sees it. Cars are honking. People are leaning out of their car windows, screaming profanities and really gross things at these Trump stands. And do you think any of those honks were in support of the stands? They may have been, but majority of the the shouts and the words used were incredibly negative. There's like an actual person working at this stand, right? Like an, a real guy. So what's his story? Yeah, yeah, there is. And that's where this got really interesting for me. So the employee I met, his name is Giovanni Filomeno. Where Where are you from? Italian. Um, yeah, Italian. Yeah. Okay. Where in Italy? Torino, you know Torino? Torino? Giovanni is an Italian immigrant. I guess, how long have you been in the U.S.? Wow, I would say like 15 years. 15 years? At this point, he'd been working at the stand for a couple of weeks, and as we just heard, he's been receiving taunts from passerbys the whole time. While at the same time, also receiving pats on the back from Trump supporters who are very happy to buy merchandise from him. Oh, you're back. How are you, sir? Good. Yeah. I, like I, like, I like your remark of that. Yeah. Nobody's throwing anything at you or anything? No, no yet. I, mean, yeah. uh, I just try to be friendly with everyone. Yeah, I, I try to, you know, just to do my job and get, keep things going smoothly. So Giovanni is experiencing an entire spectrum of emotion from extreme hatred to enthusiastic encouragement. It is just all over the place. At one point, literally, while we were talking about verbal harassment, and you just can't make this up, so you can listen to what happened. I guess been, it seems like they've been pretty respectful. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, most of the time, but mm-hmm. they, they just come, to, to be honest, and they just, <laughs> just, they just yeah, see, yeah. <laughs> they just see, uh, yeah, I just, I just got used to it. Oh my God, wow, okay, that's, that's ironic. It was, it was ridiculous. But you will never guess why Giovanni took this job in the first place. So was he a supporter just kind of looking for a side gig? No, not at all. He's not even a Republican. I'm not a supporter. I don't even support Trump. I'm a Democrat, so. Okay. And so this is... <laughs> that's this ironic, is, right? That's very ironic. So this yeah. is for you just kind of a way to make ends meet. That's, that's it, yeah. Okay. I, I know he's not going to be forever. This is just a temporary job. Okay, so that's a twist. So he's enduring all of this verbal harassment, and for some colleagues, they're getting physical abuse. And this particular worker, he isn't even a Trump supporter. No, not at all. This is a job. When COVID hit, Giovanni, like 26 million other Americans, lost his job. And he started looking for new employment when he found this sales associate job on Indeed.com. I have my own business, but right now with COVID, Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it's been really, really bad. I'm a, yeah. you know, I'm a father of two, so I need 
any income. Wow. So this guy is here just making ends meet and people assumed his political affiliation based on where he was working. I mean, at surface level, it's a pretty logical assumption that someone working a Trump stand would support President Trump. But according to Giovanni, no one has asked him. And even though this was over national politics, the ugliness that we saw here from people is also being mirrored in our own local politics. So that's kind of trickling down. And that's why we're doing this episode. This is a two-part series, right? And in part one, we're going to give you, the listeners, the lowdown on some of that toxicity in our local elections. We're mostly focusing on Encinitas for this one, but as our other Coast News reporters have shared, this is not an isolated issue. We're also seeing toxicity in Oceanside and Carlsbad, as well as surrounding regional elections. I've been covering Encinitas extensively, so I can attest to there. And in Encinitas, it's just, it's not pretty. In general, the amount of interpersonal conflicts in 2020 in Encinitas has been far higher than in 2019. We don't know how many of these were necessarily politically motivated fights, but the police are being called more meaning that we are just getting in more fights in North County. And they are serious enough to call in the cops. Like, for instance, back at those Trump stands, there was quite a bit of tension in the community when those popped up. Captain Herbert Taft of the San Diego County Sheriff Department's North Coastal Station had a front row seat for most of that. We get counter-protests at these setups, and that's fine. We don't mind, you know. But we, we make it very clear to both both sides that uh, you have a right to be here, you have a right to counter-protest, not a problem. Just make sure that you are not uh, physically assaulting each other and make sure that you know, you're not vandalizing their property because that's a crime also and that will get you arrested too. While in an ideal world, everyone could stand in their respective corners and protest each other peacefully, that's just not reality, given the current circumstances in 2020. With economic downturn, a pandemic, people get to these protests and they're ready to fight. They are emotionally pre-triggered, they're fired up and ready to go. And it's the police who are the third party that's called in to respond when tensions come to a boil. I just know that when you when you mix the two, um, you get a lot of yelling and screaming. And you get it from both sides, really. Uh, one side is not any better than others. And this toxicity surrounding this election year isn't just physical, it's virtual too. We carry it with us everywhere we go. It's in our pockets, through our cell phones, it's on our laptops. The North Coastal Sheriff Station monitors online threats too. People will send them things that they see on social media, in emails, and other forums. While many of these might be influenced by the national political climate, the subject matter is increasingly about local candidates. I've seen some really mean, cruel, vicious texts, emails, just social media comments that go beyond what I would even want my kids to see or read. Um, I'm just, it, it, it can be very disappointing to see that sort of toxicity. So when Taft said these comments were something he wouldn't want his own children to see, that's when it kind of hit me just how serious this online hate has become. And that is really significant. I know that you've had some experience with this behavior yourself, so we're going to talk about that right after this short message. Stay tuned. Have you listened to the North County Beats two-part episode on election toxicity yet? 
Join myself, Caitlin Steinberg, and host Kelly Kyle as we discuss this tumultuous 2020 election season in North County. And don't forget to join us on October 13th for the Coast News Clean Campaign Forum featuring Encinitas candidates for mayor and city council. We're going to ask the candidates how they plan on hosting the hard conversations and governing through these divisive times. Join us. Okay, welcome back. So we're talking about the viciousness that's been observed on Facebook and online during the election cycle. And Caitlin, you were going to tell us what you have seen personally. Yeah, well, I've actually received some online hate speech myself. Yeah, that is wild. So tell us about that. So without going into too much detail, because I don't want to give these people a larger platform, in the last couple of months, I've had people say they were going to find me and quote unquote, take care of me and the staff of the Coast News because they disagreed with news coverage. It's been ridiculous. Yeah, some of that <laughs> literally sounds like something that a member of the mob would say. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. been pretty nuts. I mean, it's likely all hot air, and I don't really think these are credible, but it is worth stating that they're all completely legal. Oh. And yeah, that's because this toxicity exists on a spectrum. Right. So hate speech is different than an actual threat to somebody's life. Yeah. Basically, so what you need to know is there's a lot of hate out there online right now, but the legality of it depends on the context. So there are disagreements, right? You have a right to say the things that you want to. That's what we call it. That's part of the First Amendment. Just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean that you're saying hate speech. Then there's hate speech, which is just plain mean. And that's when someone will make a personal attack at you, but is legally protected by the First Amendment. And the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled on this repeatedly. So then think of a threat as the next level when someone makes a statement and has the means to carry it out. And those threats themselves, that's when it's not okay. Just because someone's cursing at you, uh, wish you would die, that sort of stuff, that's not considered a threat. There are certain specific things that people need to do in order for us to consider it a valid threat. Say uh, a person who um, says, I'm going to shoot you, and then they start walking towards their car, and then their car is a weapon. Okay, that's, that's a valid threat because now they, they have made the statement and they have the means to do it. The crazy thing is Taft says that we are seeing every kind of negative speech right now on social media forums, from simple disagreements to active threats. It's a wild west online right now. But what interests me here is how did we get here? Like, why does this moment feel so much more stressful than other points in history? So the social media and then the party polarization um, together um, create a different climate than existed 20 years ago. That's Professor Casey Dominguez, and she is an assistant professor of politics at the University of San Diego, who has focused heavily on American political campaigns. Social media and increased party polarization have kind of combined here to form this perfect storm of toxicity. So party polarization makes everybody feel like um, the stakes are higher and the choices are clearer, and it's much harder to understand why anyone would make a choice other than one than the one that you're making, because most of the people that we um, associate with have similar political views to us. Uh, and so we, we, we have these sort of echo chambers that we listen to. And so that that is different than it used to be. Part of this is attributed to the idea that identity plays a bigger role in the way that we divide ourselves politically. 
Professor Dominguez told me that many of us have basically split based on our race, education, religion, and even things that we watch on TV or activities that we do for fun. So our political views are now shaped more by elements of identity and less by elements of neutral public policy. Because so much of our identities are intertwined with our social media presence, when you're in a Facebook group where people do not have the same opinion, it has this potential to get really personal. Right, and Professor Dominguez hit on this point as well. Social media has changed so much about how we interact with each other politically. I think that what research has shown about social media is that people uh, don't feel any need to be civil in so on social media because it is more impersonal and the the sort of anonymity and quasi anonymity of social media has coarsened our the way that we talk to each other. We should note though, politics have always been contentious. Dominguez told me how candidates have gone at each other since the beginning of our country. If you have seen Hamilton, then you know this. But even in recent history to some extent, who people support as president has always come up in local campaigns. Honestly, there would have been that kind of rhetoric about Ronald Reagan or about uh, Bill Clinton or about Barack Obama. Honestly, or George Bush in party politics, uh, you know, the the other side is always the bad guys to some degree. However, with President Trump, this connection is just more front and center. Certainly there's a different tenor to it today because of polarization and because of Trump himself who really is, um, you know, an antagonistic figure. <laughs> I don't want to not underline that. Given this antagonism at the top, some local social media forums have declared themselves a no-Trump zone. But that doesn't mean the spirit of antagonism isn't infiltrating other political conversations. We have no national politics at all on Encinitas Votes. We call it right now a no-Trump zone. Lori Green is a retired psychologist and the admin for Encinitas Votes, one of the local Facebook groups where hate speech and disagreements pop up frequently over local politics in North County. To be clear, Green's rule on no national politics would apply regardless of who was president. Encinitas Votes started in March of 2016 as a way for residents to discuss local issues. There were similar groups created for Carlsbad and Oceanside as well. While 2016 was a contentious national election year, Green says the discourse surrounding local issues was more respectful than it is today. As time went on and we got more members, then we had more people agreeing, disagreeing. But it was still very respectful. I will say that, in my opinion. We, I, didn't have to, I didn't have any co-moderators at the time. Um, but most people were pretty respectful. That has changed. Today, the group has nearly 1,200 members, and that's a huge jump compared to the 50 it started with. So much so that Green had to bring on two extra moderators in the past year to make sure that all the comments complied with their rules. Betting and posting content already took up so much of her time, and when a post would pop up with more than 200 comments... Well, at some point, we can't moderate that anymore. That's what I mean by not having any national news. I can't even imagine how you'd moderate that. Threats and personal attacks on other residents are not permitted in this group, but that doesn't mean that they don't pop up. While the moderators try to catch the rule-breaking posts and take them down, there are other types of insulting comments that are not necessarily breaking any rules. Green says one person actually left the group because they just couldn't stand the name-calling. Still, Green does believe that her neighbors are decent people, and she says this is just a tense time. I don't believe for a minute there is one person on Encinitas Votes 
that isn't a decent person. I really believe that. I just think people have different priorities. So feelings are running high, attentions are running high, um, passions are running high at this time. We're also coming up on another election, both presidential as well as city council and um, supervisor. So I expect it's going to get worse before it gets better, as far as Encinitas votes anyway. Now, Encinitas Votes is one of the more debate-friendly forums when it comes to discussing city politics. There are others on both sides of the political spectrum that take a more extreme stance on candidates and political issues. And we definitely should underline that Facebook has seen the spread of misinformation, conspiracy, and false news on the platform that was evident after the 2016 presidential election. And although they are taking steps to mitigate misinformation during this campaign cycle, it's a big undertaking, and it can be difficult to catch it all. Yeah, some of the local Facebook groups are a prime example of unchecked claims and falsehoods. In a few of these groups, you will literally see people engaging in personal attacks, dragging candidates' families into the fray, and sometimes even tagging their candidates of choice in the hateful posts themselves. And from what Taft told us, local police are monitoring this, right? Like, they are aware that this hate is there. Absolutely. I talked to Captain Taft about this. So when officers at the North Coastal Sheriff Station see websites linked to posts containing harassment or threats, it's protocol to notify the candidate that the harassment was conducted in the name of. I have reached out to that individual that that individual that was tagged and said, are you aware of this post? And they absolutely weren't aware of it. And so it does happen. People will associate themselves with someone and it's simply that person has no idea that they've done that. So apparently some of these candidates claim they aren't even aware that this hate is spreading in their name. And like so many other social media platforms out there during election season, it's really hard for candidates to keep eye on everyone saying everything. And that's another interesting point here is what is a candidate's commitment to keeping conversations civil online? I asked Professor Dominguez about that. You know, are they responsible for every single one of their followers? No, these are complicated situations. But if we're going to have a civil discourse, it's up to everybody to enforce those boundaries. Yeah, these are definitely turbulent times. And as we mentioned today, the cops see it, voters see it, the candidates are aware of it. People know that things are just toxic right now. So the next step is to figure out how do we move forward in a productive manner. And that's what we're exploring in the next episode. We're going to dive deep into the responsibility that these candidates have to keep it clean, if you will, within their campaigns. And we're also looking at some strategies that can be taken to mitigate the toxicity. Caitlin will be back with me for that one. Yes, I will be. And it's going to be interesting. Again, that is all going to be in part two of this series, Exploring Toxicity in Local Elections. You do not want to miss it. Thank you for joining us for part one. And Caitlin, thank you so much for your reporting on all of this. It's been great. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That's all we have for you on this week's episode of the North County Beat. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And while you're at it, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. Also, you can get at us on social media. Let us know what you think of the content. If there's anything you'd like to see, we are here for all of it. So we've got a couple of thank yous on the way out today. Our podcast manager is Ryan Woltz. The Coast News Editor-in-Chief is Jordan Ingram. Our associate publisher is Chris Kidd, and our publisher is Jim Kidd. 
Our next episode is Friday, September 18th. That's when we'll be bringing you part two of this series, so you do not want to miss that. Until then, I'm your host, Kelly Kyle, signing off. Have an excellent Labor Day weekend, and we will talk to you soon.